This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, what's going on? Josh Wiggler here with a special edition of the Mrs. Davis podcast coverage here on Post Show Recaps and Down the Hatch. I am not alone. I am joined here on this island, cozying up to this podcast interview with the great Mike Bloom. Mike Bloom, first of all, oh my God, I don't know how I'm talking when my head has just exploded. Yeah, it's just sort of like a flapping tongue at this point on top of your neck. Yeah, there's, so some, there's like lips and teeth too to like enunciate, but like it's mostly just like jaw down is what I'm at right now. This is uh, some wild stuff happening on Mrs. Davis. Yeah, it was a big episode. It was a literal sit down where a lot of answers got brought, particularly to fill in this absolute revelation that ended the first batch of episodes. It was a nice, I would say, way to kind of reset the palette, perhaps about that uh, dissociated tongue and lips and teeth Uh and be able to look forward as to what is happening next. We were sad to miss you, Josh, but happy that you're, you know, gone from your self-appointed exile back into the world. Yes, the podcast was delightful to listen to. I was so happy getting a chance to have that breakdown. So I was in the position of being like, I need somebody to explain Mrs. Davis to me. I had a podcast that I got to turn on and i got the value that hopefully other people are getting from listening to this podcast so a huge thanks to you and joe mike um and a huge thanks to our friends over at peacock Mm -hmm. who have made today's podcast possible we're really excited about this one you know what it is based on you clicked on the podcast so you know (laughs) what's coming uh mike and i just spoke with owen harris who was the director of not just this past episode episode five of mrs davis but also the first two episodes of mrs davis is the director of the mrs davis season one finale and executive producer on the show as well who was very creatively involved and we had a really good time digging into the themes some of what we've seen so far on the show what a delightful conversation with such a talented filmmaker responsible for some really next level black mirror episodes among many other things mike uh i'm still glowing we just got off the phone with him and it was very very fun Absolutely. Owen is somebody who loves to talk about his work, deservedly so. He's done a lot of really great stuff. As you mentioned, Black Mirror, I think uh, more appropriately to the streaming service that Mrs. Davis is a part of. He was part of the you know, adaptation of Brave New World as well, which certainly has maybe some similarities there in the quote-unquote sci-fi nature of it all. But really intriguing speaking with Owen in particular in that not only is he someone who's such a seminal part of this show, But also he was the one that was responsible for some of the biggest moments of spectacle that we have seen so far on the show, right? The first 
few scenes that are so discombobulated that we now have context behind between the introduction of the commercial of Schrodinger, the missing head that was not, as opposed to the missing head that actually was in the form yep. of episode five, even going to like episode two as we get introduced to, you know, Wiley's odd gang of misfits headed up by JQ and the Germans of it all. There is a lot of big, broad wackiness that we absolutely adored about this show that was at the hands of this guy that was responsible for not only crafting this in an entertaining, in an entertaining way, but also responsible for like making sure we don't fly too much off the motorcycle as he's kind of leading us along this path. Yeah, so we were on the motorcycle with Owen Harris. Yeah, three people on a bike. Uh, it was a tight fit, but we were thrilled to do it. So we're going to present that conversation to you now. Strap in, put a helmet on. <laughs> it's a fun one. Let's hear what Owen Harris has to say about Mrs. Davis. Owen, thanks so much for taking some time to, to hop away from the Mrs. Davis algorithm and into our algorithm to talk about the Mrs. Davis algorithm. It's very complicated. It's all very complicated. It is. It is. Um, no, pleasure. Um, nice, to, nice to meet you. Um, yes. To talk about it. Yeah, I think we want to start there uh, of just like talking about you getting involved in Mrs. Davis in the first place. Um, can you talk us through your side of things, your initial conversations with Damon and Tara and how this all came together for you? Sure. I mean, I, I, I was sent a, a script uh, uh, towards the tail end of the pandemic um, and I read it. And I think I sent an, an email to my agent saying, what the was that that I read um and then and then immediately thought that doesn't sound very positive so I then sent another email saying um but I love it yeah it was uh, a good WTF it wasn't a bad yeah. WTF no 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 it was a very very good one it was like a breath of fresh air it was um it was just wildly original joyful absurd a lot of fun um brave which i think was the thing that attracted me to it most it just felt mm. like great brave storytelling felt like it wasn't afraid to, to do something different um but also um incredibly cinematic um I, I could see a lot of opportunities visually um and also i felt by the end of the pilot i was already you know starting to ground myself into into simone and her world you know all the things that they juggle so well across the show um, I, I, I got the first whiff of that from the pilot and I just thought it was very exciting. So I said, um, thank you for sending me the script. If you would like me to do it with you, I'm on board because I think it could be a lot of fun. And it and it and it was. Yeah. And your resume speaks for itself. Obviously, you know, we know about the black mirror of it all. And it is interesting, given the wildly disparate tones that Mrs. Davis can have, particularly in a lighter way. And you were yeah. behind arguably one of the lightest episodes of Black Mirror we've seen in San Junipero, as well as perhaps one of its most devastating in Be Right Back. But you've also worked on, you know, you did an episode of the updated Twilight Zone, of course, Brave New World, which you did for Peacock as well. Which I really like, by the way, I don't think that show got enough respect personally. Oh, so what you. is yeah? So what what is it about the idea of sci-fi? Now, granted, this is a very broad umbrella, especially including Mrs. Davis and all its tone disparities therein. But is there something about the genre that just draws you back time and time again? Yeah, I mean, if 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 I'm if I'm honest, I I, I probably near fi if that is even a word, probably appeals to me even more. Um, or certainly looking at 
it's almost like when, when I worked on Black Mirror, the, the sort of premise was that you could, it's so, it's sci-fi, but it's so close to now that you could almost imagine walking into the Apple store or some store tomorrow and they'd be showcasing some sort of wacky piece of technology that would make you think, holy shit, this is the next step. Um, and that was sort of like the conceit of a lot of the Black Mirrors felt a bit, a bit like that. Like it's not happening today, but if it happened tomorrow, would we be entirely surprised? And I think that what it does, it allows you to to shine a really interesting light on things that are sort of very prescient and sort of of the moment. And certainly it examines our fears about the future, it examines where we are at the moment and the steps we're taking and the, the sort of the paths we're going along sort of without sometimes thinking about them. Um, and I thought that that's, so it's it's those, it's that sort of um, genre, if you like, that I really enjoy, because mm -hmm. I think that it allows you to also tell, you know, have a lot of fun with the storytelling, but also ground it in reality. And and when you can do that, you, you, you start to care about the characters. And I think it's that sort of the care you take with your characters that allows you to give it warmth um, and I think that sci-fi can sometimes lack that that warmth. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I, I find I find it, you know you mentioned Brave New World, and it was something that definitely I was very keen to try and bring bring to that. And it's something that mm. I was very you know that I enjoyed working on in, in Black Mirror was just how do you juggle the sort of the, the, the concept and then the, the sort of the human story, which ultimately is the thing that's going to appeal to the to your audience and draw people in. And and I think in Brave New World, it was like, how do you separate this very high concept world and, and try and make people care? And I think in that world, it was quite tricky because of their lives, their sort of how they set about their lives. But it was always the, the challenge that I strove to try and solve. Um, and certainly with 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 Mrs. Davis, again, it's a sort of I wouldn't call I don't know if I'd call it sci fi, definitely because it deals with an A.I. Um, yeah. and it deals with the, the, the idea of a future, a future potential world or or state it does feel um, a little near fi in a way that i don't like uh in, in some <laughs> ways when we look at a lot of the social media stories that we're dealing with today the twitter of it all i mean it, and it became even more near fi you know in the last few months with chat gpt yep. and all these amazing sort of ais that do things instantly i mean that so rapidly and they sort of they literally answer questions or they or they allow you to sort of buzz ideas through them and and do all this stuff and so it does it, you know it's this sort of exponential sort of it just jumped up a, a pace and mrs davis just feels a little bit like you know only a few steps removed before we're putting our entire faith in some sort of technology to start to provide all the answers and i guess you know if anything mrs davis is a little bit like think about that for a second is that really is that really what we need is that really as human beings what is gonna satisfy us and you know so it's it's that sort of question that it opens up really nicely yeah i'm curious about you know distilling the characters you know you're reading them on the page you're excited about taking this on it is such a character forward piece and it's a pretty amazing thing to consider that when one of the main characters of the show is literally jesus christ uh you know we there's there's so many big swings in the narrative of this show and the the, the world building is vast and people's heads are exploding when they're drinking from cups they shouldn't be drinking from uh and there's also incredibly important 
Super Bowl sneaker commercials and stuff like that. How do you find the humanity, though, in a story mm -hmm. where it goes so broad in so many different ways? And yet I think something that Mike and I and our co-host Joe have been so struck by is this really does feel like a very human story. It does feel very grounded, even when it's really just like floating in midair sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I think, in, in you know, in a way, the story... The story is is grounded around, uh, you know, a sort of universal story, certainly about mothers and daughters or about parents and their children and about our relationships with our parents. So immediately you have this sort of underlying sort of energy that, you know, something something drives Simone, you know, um, something's driven her to become a nun, something's dr driven her to reject the AI, something's driven, so, you know, and I think that drive is within all of us, and whether it's something that comes from a place, a, a positive place, sometimes it comes from a negative place, and I think that uh, you then start to discover that about a number of our characters, um, and I think that it's that sort of energy that we try and you know certainly as as actors you know I think that's what drew, drew them to Mrs Davis they read their parts and they could see that they they had an energy they had a sort of a uh, a, a reason for doing the things they do which were more than just plot they were you know and I think that that's what as a as a as an audience you start to respond to you start to respond to the to these these characters that have got questions of their own that need answering and I think that's what makes them you know, I know it's a word that Damon and Tara have, have, have liked to avoid, but grounded. Um, and I think it's something that you do try and, you know, as much as we don't, you know, the word is overused. You do try and do that, especially when you are genre surfing and juggling so many balls. You need to have those, your feet on the ground in certain instances, and certainly when it comes to character. Um, I think you need that. Yeah. So speaking of that genre surfing, I mean, pilots are tough to do when they are as grounded. Considering the first three scenes of the series are a medieval setting that turns into a Quentin Tarantino gory battle that turns out to be a shoe commercial several episodes down the road, an introduction to a man stranded on a deserted island with his cat, and then a joyride gone wrong that introduces our heroine of Simone. From your own perspective, obviously these scenes were part of the reasons why you were so bowled over to jump on in the first place, but like from a directorial perspective... At what point in your process are you sitting down saying, how am I able to guide people into these waters and get like somewhat adjusted to what this show might be? Yeah, I mean, I think that, that uh, that's sort of the fun of it for me. It's sort of like how, the, you know, immediately the question is, how do we do this? But as you say, it's sort of like you then got to you've then got to guide it in a way that makes it all then glue back together again. You can't. Um, I'm, I remember chatting to Damon and Tara about this, and it's sort of like you can't have you can't have this much fun unless someone it feels like someone's got a really firm grip of the reins, and that's what it that's sort of what the challenge was. It wasn't just going off and shooting this and grabbing you know and and having lots as, as fun as it was to make. I think a part of the challenge was then making sure that it still still worked within this world that it all all the pieces added up, and I think you know you've also got the the added bluff. Of the fact that the opening turns out to be something completely different and how does and how do you pull that off without it making it feel entirely different from what's about to follow and also you know keeping it um keeping it entertaining and dramatic and interesting because as you say we don't even meet um simone until sort of like a good chunk in to the to the pilot 
you know, and that that in itself is pretty unconventional storytelling, and it's pretty brave to do that. Um, and then what's nice is that when she arrives, it does allow you to go. Oh, I think I've, although I've just seen someone with their decapitated, and I've seen all this sort of stuff, I'm starting to get the feeling someone might actually start to lead us on a bit of a journey and start to help <laughs> us answer some questions now. So you know, it's actually really, it's really, it's really clever. I think it works really, really well. But it does take some, you know. It does take some guts to say we're not going to introduce our lead character for ten minutes into the show or however long it is, and and it's fun when when you do that. I think. Yeah, and that your your first time meeting her, she will perform CPR on a headless uh, anim animatronic, not quite corpse. So yeah, it's quite the introduction, even if it takes a minute to to get there. This past episode, episode five, does pull the curtain back on what that opening sequence actually was and that it turns out that it was this commercial, that it's this shoe commercial, it's this gambit to get the Holy Grail into a bigger, broader public perception. Uh, and it's via the the literal Super Bowl, Super Bowl commercial. Filming this, was this part of filming the pilot? Did you go back? Was this baked into that whole process? We would just love to know like how it came together. Yeah, sure. I mean, it was it was pretty. I, I love the fact that your cats are wrestling. Just yeah, it's just it's an audio medium, but Schrodinger's Wigglers cats are definitely mm -hmm. having a fight in the background of this. Yeah, right there's now. a reason why Arthur didn't have two, and we're seeing that firsthand yeah, right now. For sure, for sure. Shro just to say, Schrodinger's cat was the worst behaved cast member. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. How many Schrodinger's that, cats were there? That's not. That's yeah. Exactly. That's yes. unfair. Just, yeah. just the one on the beach didn't particularly like being on the beach. Mm, yeah, uh, I was gonna say if, if yeah. you didn't say anything, it was gonna be simultaneously the best and worst behaved cast member by that yes. logic. <laughs> yes, no, totally. He um he liked to sort of escape to sort of like the Rocky Mountains, and someone would have to <laughs> clamber up a side to fetch him. But um, <laughs> so um it, yeah, so the, the the commercial. I mean, it did become sort of increasingly sort of meta as we sort of went on because we obviously we shot the we shot the commercial as a commercial, but then we. For, episode five we then had to shoot the behind the scenes of that commercial and we were doing that by by actually bringing in background but also some of our own crew to be shooting some of these scenes we'd then be shooting them shooting the scenes we'd have Katya on set who's also as a director there's me on set as the director it was all pretty sort of um hectic and but in a funny sort of way you get sort of there is this buzz and this energy and this sort of like this that that's really fun to try and uh and you know and to try and mimic that is tough so by setting ourselves this sort of added challenge of not only shooting this very ambitious sort of commercial but then to shoot us shooting the commercial with the whole drama that surrounded that um it did make for sort of some quite sort of meta sort of moments on set and sort of like uh but it was it, you know it's it was fun and it was um and it, and it definitely energized episode five all of that i thought was great yeah did any yeah. of the crew members at any point in time get confused as to which director they were reporting to? <laughs> were people asking Katja questions that were actually meant for you? I, I definitely think people got confused, <laughs> especially when we went to Spain. So there was also the added lost in translation. But what was lovely was that I've, I don't think I've worked on anything where the crew embraced the show quite so much. It was mm. lovely. They, they, there was a real, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's it, the, the scenes are quite often big and challenging and or emotional and everything, but there's they're always fun to shoot. 
um it's it's a lot of fun to make a show like this as as tough as it is um and and i think that the crew embraced that sort of the absurdity of the situations and then suddenly being struck by a scene that was incredibly moving or you know so it was um so yeah there was definitely a bit of head scratching quite a lot of the time as to like what on earth is going on here but at the same time they they sort of over time certainly in la where we shot a lot of the show um, it was a lovely sort of com camaraderie in terms of how the crew responded to making material like this. Now, what about the Schrodinger of it all? It's a very similar type of echo, right? And while the dynamics of filming in Spain and the commercial are very much felt with that spectacle, in episode five, the other side is the characters are quite literally sitting down on a log and listening to a story for the entire episode. So what was the timeline on filming that? Did you, you know, keep Ben Chaplin in his best Tom Hanks getup for like the entire time? Did you go back to the island much like Schrodinger himself did? And how did you sort of think behind probably the most static piece of set that we have seen on the show thus far in the island itself? Yeah, I mean, so all of the island stuff was shot right at the end of the schedule. Um mm. And so, and, and what was what was sort of nice about that was because, you know, one of the challenges of, of episode five for me was this idea that we were going to spend a large chunk of the episode not with not with Simone and and not with 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 Wiley. And having, you know, when your audience is, is so invested by this point to suddenly be pulled away from that, it was it was I was definitely sort of I thought this is going to be a really interesting challenge. And what was really great though about doing it right at the end of the schedule is by then um their sort of chemistry and their sort of dynamic was 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 so they were so connected and it was such an easy that they started to be able to riff and it was almost and certainly with with Schrodinger you know he a lot of the dialogue is his they're just interjecting there whatever and so it did become you know even for the crew we were there for a few days and it would be as the, we'd be shooting across all different sort of time and lighting and everything but it's sort of everything settled down for the last sort of bits of the shoot to this sort of campfire storytelling sort of mode. And it was, it was, it was actually really lovely to make. And certainly we got lots of nice sort of extra bits and pieces from, from Betty and Jake. And I think Ben came up to me the day before shooting all of that stuff and said, I'm not, I'm not sure whether I'm going to, how this is going to go. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You're going to, you're going to nail this. And he goes, there's just so much. There's so much to say. I don't know. I don't know if it's all there. And it was. It was brilliant. He sort of like, you know, he nailed sort of seven, six, seven pages of sort of monologue. And um, and we were all sort of wrapped because it was almost, and certainly for the crew, they were hearing everything being explained to them. And and it the was, crew's um, like finally understanding the show that they've been making this whole time. Oh. <laughs> oh, and what are you going to do that next? And um. So it was, yeah, it had a bit, had this sort of atmosphere about it. And, it, and you know, certainly the the idea of the Princess Bride sort of start of storytelling, that I'm going to sit you down and tell you a story. And then we go off to some other, this other world, and we start to turn the pages of the book. And that was the sort of the conceit behind how we would pull that off, I think. Yeah, I think what's really compelling to me about that, and especially now knowing that it came, you know, really late in the, in the shoot at the end of the schedule, as you said, uh, that it feels to me not unlike what it's been like to watch the show, 
uh, that, mm. you know, there has been these moments. I think that this is, you know, certainly it's something that that Damon Lindelof is so terrific at are these shows that are constantly engaging you in all these questions. And you're trying to theorize and make sense of the story as you're going along the way. And you have Wiley at several points in the story being like, oh, I knew it was the father and all of this. And it it really does mimic the experience of of watching Mrs. Davis, I think, yeah. um, in this in this really powerful way that I think translated certainly to, to Mike and myself. Uh, and I yeah. think if that was the goal, I think that that was a accomplished really well yeah i think it definitely was 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 behind you know if you're gonna drop this many breadcrumbs and you know it's always it's always i mean i had it i had it on black mirror but in a much smaller sense because each one's an anthology so you're only getting asking people to sort of hang on the edge of their seats for a certain amount of time and you're trying to you're, you're sort of the part part of the thrill is the tease and this sort of like giving enough to sort of make you sit up and try and figure stuff out and then slowly paying bits off. But you're trying to do this over eight hours of television. And I think there is a sort of a, a I suppose, a humour to the fact that we're also going to have an episode where we, we're going to reflect you exactly how we know you must be feeling by this point, yeah. which is sort of like the fact that certain bits are starting to come into clarity. Some bits you, you knew were going to end up that way and some bits you're still in the dark about and sort of definitely... Simone and 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 Wiley sort of are the audience at that point. right and I think what's yeah. especially interesting about the the setting of it is it is it is on an island uh and there is a world in which uh am I on an island with this show is anybody yeah. else you know <laughs> tuning in is anybody else engaging it the way that I am and I think that that Mike and I and Joe we've certainly discovered that yeah, people are really in. People are leaning all the way in on Mrs. Davis. The people who have found it so far are really receptive to it. I think are really vibing with it very much. Were there were there moments in making this season of television where you wondered were people going to be on the <laughs> island or are we building a city around this place? Are we building a church of Mrs. Davis? Yeah, I, th I mean, yeah, you don't. It, it's a uh, it's a really you know it's a uh, it's a really big swing you're having but <clears throat> you're also you know in in Damon and Terry you've got two fantastic storytellers um and certainly you know as as a as a as a producer and director every time a script would come out you're sort of sitting there thinking what what next where are we going next and as each storyline came out but um but you know I think that the show the show I, I always felt the show was delivering whenever I had questions before scripts were arriving I'd sometimes say to Tara I'd ask Tara and she always felt so um solid in terms of what was making things tick and this person tick and whatever but it always felt very reassuring just saying fine then I'm in and here we go again and I think that was the same for the actors um in terms of sort of people's reaction it's been it's been great how well it's been received certainly you know before something comes out certainly something of this sort of tone which is a bit of a a tightrope walk um you do of course you're a little bit concerned and to be honest with you I'm still there's still an element of like this isn't this this isn't you know what you're making isn't necessarily you've got to invest in this you've got to be mm. willing to, you know you've got to be willing to sit back and say come and then chuck it all at me you know if you're in a rush you know, maybe it, it could it could frustrate you. But all I'd say is that it's worth it's worth just sitting down and letting it hit you um, because it's because it's original. It's original thinking. It's really original storytelling. And it does. And I think what's nice about it as well, it doesn't necessarily try and answer the big questions. It just gets you thinking about them. And I love storytelling like that because it allows it to echo on 
beyond it. And it ties up the things that are important emotionally, but the bigger questions, it's just gets you, it just releases them into the, into the universe. And, you know, that's uh, for us to figure out. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to that bigger questions to not take too much of a sneak peek ahead, because again, we know not to open any doors and what might lie behind them. But, you know, despite the fact that we sat down and seemingly got a lot of answers this past episode about the Sisters of the Coin, about the making of the commercial, I mean, it should be noted that not only did you direct episode one, but episode two as well, which introduced the idea of the classic force and the magic that got brought into Lizzie's life and how that can tie into the science versus religion aspect of it all as an audience. How much should we be regarding this story that we just received an hour of with a grain of salt? You know, we see at the end of episode two, for instance, that the entire JQHQ, if you will, is a bit of a constructed lie to get Simone on a certain path. Should we be regarding Schrodinger's story in the same way? Um, I'm not going to give you an answer to that question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very appropriate. Oh. This is one of the big questions that we can't live with an answer with. <laughs> Um, I think that, uh, I, I think that, that they, everything gets tied up, you know, it's not like you're going to invest your thinking time into something that, that, that doesn't. So it does. It's, it's, and what, what I love is the fact that is the way it gets tied up. Um, and so in answer to your question, yes, it's worth investing your time. Do you, is, is the answer going to be what you expect? I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I think, you know, a, a seminal facet of having faith is doubt, right? You mm. know, like you can't have one without the other, probably. Uh, I mean, maybe you could have doubt without faith, but I think it'd be hard to have faith without a little bit of doubt. Uh, and so I think that there are moments along the way where if we're if we're doubting elements of the story, like not even doubting the success of the show, but I think like what we're being informed in the context of of the narrative, uh, I think in a show that is dealing so heavily with themes of technology versus faith and where do they intersect, you would say that that's part of the point if we're having these mm. kinds of questions along the way. Yeah, I think so. And I think that, I mean, Tara and Damon can speak far more eloquently about about this than, than I can. But certainly when, you know, in terms of, you know, magic and faith and technology, you know, you're dealing with different sort of levels of... Um, I guess, as you say, uh, faith and doubt, the suspension of disbelief, um, faith in terms of how much faith do we put into technology, how maybe sometimes we're we're in danger of not doubting technology enough um, and its abilities and its answers when we go looking for answers. Um, and, you know, and I think that so so all of these questions are raised by this, this, this story, um, I think, in terms of uh you know and just sort of like you know if you go back a hundred years we would go looking for most of our answers in you know if you go back a couple of hundred years we'd look for our answers in, in religion that was it that that guided us you know then it became science and science still answers is there to answer a lot of technologies uh, a, a, a lot of questions now i think technology is there because it's there at the press of a button you can ask it what you like, and nine times out of ten, you'll be quite happy with with the answer it will give you. Sometimes without questioning it, and so I think that this is very much what this show is about, and it's about. And then it's also about faith, uh, what you need as a human being, you know, and are mm. uh, uh, you know a, a relationship with a piece of technology is that what is that as is that going to give us fulfillment, you know? And then what? And if not, what does give us fulfillment? 
and then finally magic and and faith you know there is there is something to you know there's something almost supernatural i guess uh, you've got to be careful when you say this but certainly you know in terms of in in terms of faith you've got to em, you've got to embrace your faith you've got to embrace things that are unknown to you that are inexplainable and and i think that that's also an interesting part of this whole story that we're that we delve into so so yeah all of these questions and all of these themes get raised but we're not looking to sort of stick a nail in any of them i think yeah owen we appreciate you taking so much time we're loving the show all of the mm-hmm. work on the island that it took to to build this show on for us at least it's it's really paying off i i hope you're happy with the reaction i i can't wait to see i know you've got the finale coming up i can't wait to yeah. see what you're, what you're doing with all of that so thanks for making an right. amazing show really no well thank you and thanks for your time it's been a, it's been a pleasure and um we, we had a lot of fun making it so thank you all right, Mike, that was wonderful. Uh, oh, what a delight. Glorious. What an absolutely incredible time to talk to Owen about this totally demented show mm-hmm. uh, that also has, uh, in just five episodes, I think, meant a lot to us and to the people who have found it. Really, really First off, time. let me say, Owen Harris absolutely selling himself short. He is incredibly eloquent. Uh, don't throw it at the feet of the co-creators. When he spoke about his craft, and in particular, making this show and the themes behind it, I was, you know, just jaw-dropped in awe of listening to someone talk through a lot of things that you and I had been speculating about. This is the first time that you and I had talked with any of the creatives behind this show. Knock on wood, it will not be the last opportunity. And it's just so awesome to hear about the feeling that was brewing on the set of, okay, we are making a big, for lack of a better term, leap of faith here. We are doing a lot right now and we are trusting that the audience will at least somewhat go along with it. And the reception, at least so far, from what we've garnered from our corners of the internet, is that people are going along for the ride here. Yeah, uh, so I'm definitely all the way in on the ride, and getting Owen's perspective was amazing. To your point, Mike, I hope it is not the last time that we're going to talk to somebody involved in Mrs. Davis. I'll go so far as to say as it won't be the last time that we are going to talk to someone involved in Mrs. Davis. We spoke with director Owen Harris today. Director Althea Jones is next on the docket. We are going to pick her brain about episode six, a few days after episode six drops. So that podcast will be coming even later than this one, I think. But if you've got questions for her uh, and everything that's been going on through six episodes of Mrs. Davis, we definitely want to hear that from you. So definitely write in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com is our email hotline if you've got any Mrs. Davis questions that you want to ask to the creatives involved in the show. That next episode, it's coming soon. Mm -hmm. Allison Treasures, a Southern California story. May the fourth be with you, Mike Bloom, and also with Asher. Yes, absolutely. It's coming at, you know, a big time. Uh, We essentially got the version of the giant crawl of text that we get at the beginning of a Star Wars movie, right? Last episode was just all the exposition about what was going on with the sisters of the coin. I mean, how much are we going to go into the belly of the beast in the form of this whale next episode? How much are we going to deviate onto an entirely different path? Who knows? Will another character's origin story be revealed where more heads explode? I'm not entirely sure. but There isn't an exploding head in every episode of Mrs. Davis from here on out. What are we even doing, folks? 
No, I don't know. Is it? It's really hard to top what happens with Clara. I think so too. <laughs> so like, so too. you know, quit while you're ahead. For like oh God, term. no, no. <laughs> oh man, well don't quit the podcast. We're going to come back. Make sure that you are subscribed. Postshowrecaps.com slash Davis is the RSS link. When you search by URL, you can also search Recaps, Mrs. Davis, wherever you get your podcasts. Ratings and reviews, tremendously appreciated here. Uh, if you want to tell a friend about not just Mrs. Mrs. Davis, but the Mrs. Davis podcast, we would appreciate that as well. Uh, and if you want to add free versions of the Mrs. Davis uh, podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash recaps. That is the way to do it. Any level, you're going to get commercial free versions of the Mrs. Davis pods. Mike Bloom, we're going to be back with Joe in just a couple of days talking about Allison Treasures, a Southern Californian story. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye-bye. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.